goodness. <laughs> you guys feel like I do? Let's do this. Let's take a look at, at God. Y'all want to see, see God this, this morning? He is so incredibly kind uh, to give us the passage that we're in this morning. Uh, it is going to be an absolute feast. Uh, Exodus 32. I want to talk a little bit this morning about the word indifferent. What does it mean to be indifferent? So indifference. Uh, what it means is marked by a lack of interest or just neutral. You can take it or leave it. It really doesn't matter to me. There's certain things in this world that you may find you're like, I'm just, I'm just indifferent to that. Maybe in your marriage, your spouse is not indifferent to something and you are indifferent to that thing. Maybe last week or a, a couple of weeks ago at the Super Bowl, uh, you were like, eh, it doesn't really matter. I, I don't really care. I mean, there were two garbage teams anyway, but uh, it didn't really matter you know, to, to you, you were indifferent to it. Or maybe somebody in your family was like, the halftime show is gonna be awesome. And you're like, I'm indifferent to that as well. Uh, there's certain things that maybe you're not indifferent toward, things that really matter to you, things that are specifically matter to you. They might be a little quirky things. I don't know why, but for me, lighting in a room, I am not in, indifferent to lighting in a room. I'm not indifferent to the way socks fit. They gotta, they gotta feel right. Uh, pins, like those little, you know, those things that click and you write with ink, uh, those really matter to me. I'm not indifferent. You give me like one of those little Bic pens, I will throw it on the floor. Uh, well, not the, the Bic round stick is garbage. Um, it's a G2 pilot all the way, okay? Or, or a Micron, whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, pizza, pizza, I am not indifferent to pizza. Uh, it, it matters tremendously uh, to me. So there's certain things that you just might find yourself, you're, you're like, I'm not, I'm not indifferent to those things. Uh, through Exodus 1 through 31, we have seen over and over that God, there are certain things that God is not indifferent to. He is not indifferent to his created order. He keeps stepping in. He keeps saying, I want to be involved in this moment. And he shows us that he's not indifferent to these particular things by stepping in and saying, I'm going to move in your midst. I've got something to say on that particular topic. Man, Exodus 32, we're going toward this golden calf moment. God is gonna show us that he is not indifferent to what's going on in their lives. And I'm just gonna tell you this morning, if you think, if we think this morning that God is indifferent to what's happening in our lives, God, don't you care? We're drowning. Remember that scene? God, don't you even care? I just want you to hear over and over this morning, God is not indifferent to your story. God is not indifferent to the things that you are currently walking through. It is not like the Super Bowl where you say, eh, take it or leave it. God looks at us and his heart pounds for us. And he says, I am not indifferent to all of the miniature micro details that are happening in that person's life. You ever get the sense that God is um, delaying? You ever get that sense? Maybe you're, you're waiting for, for something. Maybe you're like, God, I've been, I've been praying this thing. God, I don't know where you are right now. I'm asking you and you seem to be out to lunch, like he's delaying. Don't you care that we're drowning? Where are you? Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, okay, so we know Moses has gone up the mountain. He's been with God for like 39, 40 days. Okay, so God's in this hot, intimate, like, relationship with the Lord in, in, in this moment, Moses is. And uh, the people are left down at the base of the mountain with Aaron, about, about a million people here. And they see that Moses, this one who has led them all the way, right, out of Egypt, has delayed. You're taking forever. That sound like your kids maybe in the backseat? I'm starving. This is taking forever. It's not just your kids. It's us, right? What is taking you so long? He has delayed, apparently, in coming down from uh, the mountain. 
The people gathered themselves to, to, uh, together in Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. <laughs> As for this Moses, remember this guy? This man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. It's been like 39 days. Where is this guy? So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Bring all the gold. So all the people took all uh, took off all the ring, all the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. And what did he do? He, with intentionality, with the skill, remember Bezalel last, last week? The guy who was given certain skills and gifts. So apparently Aaron's got some skills and gifts here. He fashioned it. He formed it. He shaped it with a graving tool that he just happened to have on hand and made, created a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Okay, it's gotten out of control. It's gotten loose. And the Lord said to Moses, oh boy, go down for your people, your people, (laughs) whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, listen to this, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath, my hot displeasure may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Four things we're gonna see this morning that God is not indifferent to. Number one, God is not indifferent to our worship. God is not indifferent to our worship. What proves this? I'm gonna run you through a bunch of scriptures here. His commandments prove that he is not indifferent to our worship. He longs for our worship. He's jealous for our worship. Think about uh, Exodus 20. Uh, This is the 10 commandments, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, a fashioned, like Aaron just did, image, or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. He's jealous because he deserves all of our worship, all that they are, all that we are, not just a section on Sundays from 10 to 11. He he requires and demands all of our worship, not that it's over here, over here, I worship this, I worship this, I worship this, I worship this, and God gets a certain percentage. He says, I'm the only one worthy of all of your worship of Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your might. Talk to your kids about this. Everywhere you go, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. I was like, listen, say these things, believe these things. You shall love the Lord your God with all. All means all. He's not indifferent to our worship or else he would have said, worship me when you feel like it. Worship me just with a little bit of your life. He's saying, worship me with all that you have in your innermost being. Jeremiah 2, an unbelievable, unbelievable passage. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? You become what you behold. They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us into the wilderness in the land of of deserts and pits in a a land of drought 
and deep darkness in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruit and its good things. But when you came in, you, you uh, defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. And then verse 11 says this, has a nation changed its gods? Even though they are no gods, <laughs> these are no gods that you've created, but my people have changed their glory or exchanged their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here's this picture of God saying, "I've, I've given you fountains of living water in life. I've offered you the best of the very best, the richest of fare, the fattest portion, like it says in Psalms. But you've hewed out cisterns for yourself, broken cisterns that can't do anything you expect it to do. God is not indifferent to our idolatry okay, and our going to some other place to find what we think we can find outside of him. Deuteronomy 30, unbelievable passage. I would recommend you spend some time together in this as a family. In Deuteronomy 30, it says, see, I have set before you today life and good. So God puts, puts them in this place and there's like a fork in the road. I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you this day that you shall surely Perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. The two options, life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose what? Life. In matters of worship, it's a choice of life or death, feast or famine, broken cisterns that can't satisfy or rivers of living water that can satisfy. If you fast forward to verse 26 in Exodus 32, uh, this is where we're gonna be a little bit later. But Moses saw that the people had uh, broken loose, okay, Aaron had let them break loose. And Moses stood at the gate in the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side, come to me. Right, that's that Deuteronomy 30 moment. It says, fork in the road, he's saying, today make a choice. Who's it gonna be? Who are you gonna worship? So let me explain a little bit what uh, idolatry is. Idolatry is anything that takes the place of God. Anything you seek to give you what only Christ can give you. That might be significance, identity, work, money, sex, friendships, family, comfort, control, uh, success, beauty, brains, health. These are things that long for our worship, right? And then we, we let them become what... Uh, they, we let them take the place of God. They, we let them sit on his throne. And we hope that these things will actually achieve what uh, we hope they would achieve that they are never able to achieve because only God can achieve that. So I, idolatry is a lie that we don't need God and we can make our own God. The root of sin is going outside of God for happiness and fulfillment. Again, this is what happened in Eden, right? In Eden, it was basically the Lord is my shepherd but I lack. That's idolatry. The Lord is my shepherd, yet I lack. So I still need to fill up my empty tank with something else. And that thing that you fill it up with is the idol. None of us in this room, I don't think this week, fashioned a golden calf. I hope not, but I'd love to see it if you did so I can melt it down. No. Um, 
But we have other golden calves, right? We have these other idols that beg for our attention and beg for our our worship. It might even be the things that are really, really good in our lives. It may be family, right? It may be children, comfort, control, our work, those things. But I think we have to name it and call it what it actually is. We talked about this in a previous series about spiritual warfare, but we have to name this sin and call it what it actually is and not just say like, oh, I have this, have these other things that I'm passionate about as well. But I think we need to say, I actually, what I'm doing is I'm running to inferior gods because I don't trust that God is enough. If we're really, really honest, that's what we need to say. I'm running, chasing inferior gods because I just don't trust that God's enough. And we use language like we say, I just kind of found myself in a spiritual rut right now. That's a little soft. I would say we're, we don't find ourselves in spiritual ruts. What we're actually doing is we're actively choosing lesser gods over and over all throughout the day. And we're setting up uh, what I would call a camp in a land of mediocre pleasures. We set up camp in a land of mediocre pleasures. I'm talking about we here, <laughs> not talking at you. I'm talking about we. And the reason we don't hear from the Holy Spirit One of the reasons we don't hear from the Holy Spirit is because we feast on other voices all day long, all day long. If you were to do a voice audit in your life, just an audit of the voices that you hear and listen to all day long, do y'all feel that? Are are y'all tired of that? You tired of all of the real estate in your head being occupied by voices that you either invite or you didn't even invite. Things are just constantly flooding us. This week it was a warm it was a warm week, right? The weather was just amazing. Um, and but when that happens, you don't really know what to do. You're like, do I turn on the air? Do I keep the heat on? Do I open, open the windows or whatever? But I came in the house and it was just like it is so stuffy in here. I just thought like, that's this picture. Like open a window. Right? Do you ever feel like you're in this space where just like these voices, you're my life, my brain, my heart, my soul is so stuffy right now. There's just all this stuff that's just like, and the spirit of God says, I just want to blow that fresh breeze and just push it all out. I want to take your idols and I just want to blow the fresh breeze of the spirit into your life. Does anybody want that this morning? Gosh, do you feel stuffy right now? The amazing thing is that God can actually do that. His spirit can actually do that. I think he's got to start with us actually wanting him to do that. So the question here is, how did they fall into this idolatry? So how do you get to the place where you're making a golden calf? You know, and we, we, we may say like, well, I'm not doing that. Well, we're not that far off. We're really not that far off. It started with impatience. Right? In verse one, the people saw that Moses had delayed. Where is this guy? He said he was coming. It starts with impatience. And and, and they gave up waiting after like 40 days. God is taking forever. Remember verse 8? Verse 8 says what? This is the Lord speaking. They have turned aside what? In verse 8. Quickly. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought he was taking forever. The Lord is not delaying. From his perspective, he says, it didn't take them long at all to turn aside. But for them, he's taken forever. So impatience, a lot of times, we want God to operate on our timetable. How's that working out? Not great. I wish his ways were like my ways. I wish his timetable was my timetable. And God says, listen, 
There's something happening in the waiting. Does anybody else here feel like God's just taking his merry old time? Can we move along here, God? I saw this week they're trying to shorten baseball games, major league baseball. They're trying to make them shorter. Some things are meant to take a while. Baseball is one of those things. It's a, it's a pastime, okay? Don't cave to culture, baseball. You stay long. They return to this Exodus 9 God. Remember Exodus 9? The plague against the livestock? Remember that? It's funny, the last time I preached was Exodus 9. I'm like, what is it about me and cows? <laughs> but, but God did this, uh, this plague where he wiped out the livestock. And that was a power move. It was God saying that you're making this livestock, you're making calves and cows your, your like bulls, like your, your God. And so God said, I'll show you if there's any power in that. And so he wipes it out. And here, when the people get impatient, they return to these gods that God had already beat. God already destroyed these gods. And they're going back to the gods that God had already destroyed. So the, the recipe for idol making, okay, if you want a recipe for it, these are the ingredients. Uh, idol making equals impatience plus herd mentality. Verse one, the people gathered themselves together. Yeah, you're right. He is taking a long time. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I'm mad too. Yeah, I'm mad too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's gather together. Let's rally around our impatience. So impatience plus herd mentality plus a compliant leader. Uh-oh. Aaron. Plus weakened bodies and minds and forgetfulness plus doubting God's faithfulness plus worn down and restless hearts. That leads to idol making. So if you find any of those ingredients in your life right now, you're not that far from fashioning an idol. They disobeyed the, the commandments, right? God said, have no other gods before me. And that's what they did. They started creating other gods before me. See, Egypt is still in their hearts, right? They were out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in their hearts. When they were stressed, they ran back to what they knew. When they got stressed and impatient, they ran back to what they knew. We do the same thing. And I think we need to, be, we need to beware of the drift, the drift of our hearts that say, I, I, I need to see it, right? Faith is, is believing without seeing. And so for us, it's like, I, I need to see it. I need a God right here and right now. I don't know what happened to Moses, that man, that guy who led us out of Egypt. I don't know where his, what, what, what he's up to, but I need to see it right now. And so with this fear of not being in control really started to shake them up. Anybody else have a fear of not being in control? Anybody with a control idol in this room? Another way of ask, asking that question, anybody in here have a heartbeat? And so God is not indifferent to our worship. So the application question this morning for number one is this. Are you indifferent toward the drifting of your heart? God's not indifferent to our worship. Are you indifferent to your worship? Does it bother you as much as it bothers God that you're drifting? Why do we not have the same heart that God has? Well, he's God. God wants us to have his heart, doesn't he? So we gotta ask the question, am I indifferent to the things that God is not indifferent to? This is one of the reasons why we gather in this place on Sunday mornings, because we have to reclaim worship. And this is just an hour a week. You know, of course, worship is all week long, but there's a, there's a statement when we come in a room like this to say, kind of like the rest of the week, my, my eyes have been bouncing around all over the place, but when I'm here, my worship is on you. And I'm going to make a statement this morning and Sunday mornings. That's why we don't miss. If I can be here, I'm going to be here. If I wasn't on staff, <laughs> I would be here. 
And so there are things right now that, that don't belong in your life. They're stealing your worship or they're broken cisterns that you're hoping will hold water and they just can't and they are not. And you know that is true. And God says, I want to deal with those idols this morning. Here's what's going to happen this, this morning, okay? We're going to go through these, these four points. Um, and uh, I'm going to give you really practical response to each of these. Because I, I believe you know, God is not indifferent. God wants to move in, step into these, these areas this morning and have us respond in a really practical, tangible way. After the service, we always have our prayer team, our prayer ministry. I have asked the prayer team today, I need more people this morning. I need more people back there this, this morning because my expectation this morning is there's, there will be response today. That has been my prayer all week long. God, help them respond this morning. And so you will have an opportunity at, at the end to approach someone in the back, whether it's someone in the back on the prayer team or somebody you know beside you and say, I need to lay down this idol today. Very practically, if the spirit right now is pressing in on you and saying that thing has become an idol in your life, it's taken the place of God. This morning, we cannot be indifferent to that. It has to bother us as much as it bothers God. Number two, this is awesome. God is not indifferent to our prayers. God is not indifferent to our prayers. Verse 10, okay, we have got, um, we have got God who is, who is hot in uh, displeasure to, toward his people. He says they're stiff-necked, right? Verse 11, but Moses... But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out just to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Remember that promise, God? What does the Lord do? This is wild. This will blow your brain. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So God proves, there's a lot to unpack here. God proves he is not indifferent to our prayers by inviting us in. Why would he ask us to pray if he was indifferent to our prayers? Why would he do that? Psalm 106 is really, really helpful here. Psalm 106 said, they made a calf in Horeb and worshiped. This is kind of the, it's telling, it's retelling the story and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God, ding, 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 for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them, okay? Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. So God would have, God would have had Moses not stood in the breach. Now your brain might be starting to be like, so would we, so would God have done it if Moses didn't? Does prayer really affect God? Did God change, did Moses change God's mind? All good questions. For now, (laughs) he invites Moses in. So he invites us to intercede. He invites us, just using the the words here, to stand in the breach, to intercede for people and for things that we care about, right? God invites us to stand in the breach, to intercede in prayer. Let's look at some more scriptures here. Isaiah 30, 
Um, a lot of this I've learned from the prayer training we had a couple weeks ago. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts, exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Listen to this. For a people shall dwell in Zion in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. We sing that song a lot here. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he blows it off because he's indifferent. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. He responds. He invites us in. He listens. And then he responds. Matthew 7, New Testament, Jesus Christ. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. The way in which God answers, according to this passage, is that we, the way the door is opened is we knock. Seems to be the pattern here. So he invites us in to actually pray, and then he does something about it. He actually cares. Romans 15, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, this is Paul speaking, to strive together. There's like actual energy that goes into prayer, like co-labor with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers. So the word that there is really important. Strive together with me in your prayer so that effect may happen, so that something may actually happen. Why are we so focused right now in exchange on prayer? Because God is not indifferent to our prayers. He actually invites us in to hear the pounding of our heart to say, you know what? My heart is pounding the same. We're in rhythm together. And the things that you care about, yes, that's us. And I want to answer. That's the way he's set up for it to happen. I'm not going to argue with it. I'm just going to step in. James 4, last, last one. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your own passion. So you have not because you ask not. God's saying, I just want your heart to ask. I'm not indifferent to your prayers. I'm inviting you in. And Moses uh, appeals to three different things here in this passage. We don't have time to walk through this um, fully. But he appeals to the power of God. This help, helps us in our prayer. He appeals to the power in verse 11. Verse 12, he appeals to the past, what God has done in the past. They all start with P. And then... Verse 13, he appeals to the promises of God. So in your prayer, when you approach God, a really helpful little um, template here is he appeals to the power of God, God's past, what he has done in the past, and then the promises of God. And I think that delights the heart of God. So God proves he's not indifferent to our prayers by inviting us in. God proves he's not indifferent to our prayers by responding in verse 14. He says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing, spoken of, of bringing on his people. So prayers here, we have to say, are actually effective. God's asking us to prayer because prayers are effective. They actually affect God in such a way where we enter in and co-labor with God's ongoing action. I mean, this starts to hurt your brain here a little bit. <laughs> this is where you like to put God in a little box God's like, I'm going to blow that box up, okay? So God relents. God does not change his mind, right? We know that in Scripture that God has not, does not change. He has not changed his mind. So what's going on here? Instead, he invites Moses to stand in the breach and to co-labor and to intercede, right? So in doing so, his prayers were actually effective as they merged into God's perfect will. We could teach a whole series on this, <laughs> It's kind of like God saying, the way I'm going to do what I'm going to do is through the prayers of my people. The way I'm going to do what I'm going to do is through the prayers of my people. I think we should probably have a prayer ministry here at Exchange. 
So God allows us, maybe this visual, this is just, just an illustration. I'm sure it breaks down in a thousand places. But um, a picture of like us, you know, God's driving on this interstate and we're trying to merge. <laughs> we're trying to merge in. And I see prayer as God kind of like, you know that, you're like, I wonder if this guy's going to let me over. And God kind of flicks his lights. He's like, come on in. Come on in. You're like, oh, awesome. So I get to be on the interstate with him. God's inviting us, flicks his lights at us. And he says, I actually won't do it without you. I would love for you to be a part of this. Gosh, to get to enjoy the experience of praying and to co-labor <laughs> with what God is already doing. You see it again in Deuteronomy 9, where uh, in, the, in the Deuteronomy version of this, this story, uh, is that on the screen? I don't think, I think it is. Um, that's not on there. In Deuteronomy 9, 19, where um, he says, he's, he's retelling the story, and he says, uh, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you, so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. Again, so God is, he's praying. That's actually having some kind of effect on God. Okay, God listened, he responds, and then this is really cool. And the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. That doesn't say, say that in Exodus. It says it here. But he's so angry with Aaron, and what does Moses do? And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. That's pretty cool. So Moses prays, that's, that's my bro. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to pray for him as well. So Moses needed to be the person to stand in the breach. So here's the practical application point for us this morning, and I really hope there is response to this this morning. The question is, are you indifferent toward the power of prayer? It's a hard question, but if you look at your prayer life, perhaps the answer is yes. If we actually believe that prayer did something we might pray. If I believe that grass is going to grow, I'm going to reseed my lawn. Right, and so I want you to do this. I want you to think of someone in your life. Maybe it's like Moses and Aaron. Think of someone in your life who needs someone to stand in the breach for them. Okay, think of someone, maybe it's a friend, Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's they're even in this room. There might be someone who is running away from God or has just grown cold toward the Lord. Their heart has grown warm toward other things and they've grown cold toward the Lord. Maybe they have gone to the point where they're dancing around the fire of an idol. They're walking away from this abundant life. I want you to think about that person. There's probably names in your head. Somebody that when you think about that, it, it starts to well up something in you, right? You feel that because that person means a lot to you. I'm going to go on a limb here and I'm going to ask you if you have somebody, I'm not going to call on you, I don't have to, you don't have to say, say names, would you raise your hand? I want you all to look around. <laughs> You put your hands down. So do you know why you feel the way you do right now? Why that stirs up emotion and why that stirs up particular passion? The reason why is because I believe you are the one. I believe you are the one who God is calling to stand in the breach for that person. What are we going to do? Hope somebody else does it? This morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to stand in the breach for these people. We don't just gather here to like, give high fives and sing songs. We gather here because God has invited us in to co-labor with him. And I'm just saying, there's a lot of hands. That's a lot of people. 
that God is trying to redeem and pull into his heart and say, I love you. And the reason it feels that way to you is because you're the one. And he's pointing at you and saying, stand in the breach. I wanna use you to cause effect in this person's life. And then you know what we get to do as he flicks on the lights? We get to merge in. And as a community, we get to watch. And we get to hear stories. And we get to hear these miracle stories of like, I stood in the breach. That's all I knew to do. And I just prayed these shameless, audacious, persistent prayers. And I think God used it. But today we're gonna have the opportunity to do that at the end of this sermon. Third thing is this. God is not indifferent to our sin, clearly, in this passage. He is not indifferent to our sin. You see the heart of God just pounding slash raging here. Go back to verse 10, right? He says, now let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Sin and God do not mix. He's in this place where he is like, my wrath will burn. What does that mean? I thought God was a forgiving God, not an angry God. God can't just be cool with sin. He can't just be cool with sin. He gave them this beautiful order and they turned it to corruption. They vandalized his masterpiece. His shalom, his perfect peace, they have vandalized it. In verse 30, he calls it a great sin, this enormous sin. It's the first sin, the first commandment. If you didn't listen to the other nine, I gave you one. And you exchanged your worship for other, other things. God can feel wrath and fury over that because he's worthy of all of the worship. And so when sin comes in the picture, God says, I will not put up with that. God will not remain neutral with our sin. He will not be indifferent with the sin in my life. He will not be indifferent with the sin in your life. Why? Why is this the case? Look at verse nine, back to verse nine. Um, Look at what sin does. Look at what sin does to us, to people. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've become corrupt. They've become twisted. Sin does not come to just trip you up, right? Sin doesn't come into your life to just kind of trip you up and give you like a, like a scraped up knee. Sin comes for the core. It comes to kill, steal, destroy. Right, and so God knows that the effects of sin are ridiculously serious. You've got moral corruption here. In verse eight, they turned aside quickly out of, out of the way that I commanded them. Uh, verse nine, uh, and the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. This is fascinating. Psalm 115, look, look at this. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. He's talking about idols. Okay, they're trying to make these things. They have mouths fashion little mouse, but they can't speak. They don't have senses. They're what you might call senseless. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, uh, but uh, do not feel. They have feet, but they do not walk. They do uh, not make a sound in their throat. They can't do these things. Those who make them, the people who fashion these idols, become like them so do all who trust in them. So the point, the point here is be really careful what you bow down to and what you binge because you will become like that thing. If you fashion idol, you will become like that idol. He calls them stiff-necked. What else is stiff-necked? A cow and stubborn, a cow. They're becoming like that which they worshiped. Somebody on the content team this week had a great quote. They said, sin makes you stupid. 
It does. Sin makes you stupid. It makes you stiff-necked. It makes you stubborn. It makes you senseless. It makes your life feel stuffy. You don't taste the way you used to taste. You don't smell the things you used to smell. You become senseless. And so God is very serious about this, so we can't remain indifferent to it. Uh, there's a... There's a um, a, con- a condition that trees get in sometimes called heart rot. Have you ever heard of heart rot? What heart rot is, is literally, it's like the center of the tree will rot. And if they cut like a cross section of it, it's like hollow. From the inside out, it starts to rot. I can't think of a better picture of scripture. The tree looks fine from the outside. And like a grown man or a grown woman can come up and literally push the tree over because the inside has rotted out. Sin does not come to just attack a little bit of the bark. It comes for the core. And what it does is it rots away your soul. And then it rots away the souls of your family. And then it rots away the souls of our community. Slowly, surely over time. And so God says, I love that community. I love those generations that are still yet to come. So God says, you've got to deal with this sin right now or future generations will be rotten. They will have no core. And so Moses represents this in verse 19 when he comes down and he is livid. He demonstrates the fury of God, right? He says, as soon as I'm going to fast forward, sorry, we're running out of time. Uh, as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the, and the dancing, so they have like this whole party going on. <laughs> Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. All right, so he just like, takes these out and he breaks them saying like this broken relationship with God, the most valuable thing yet on earth. And he takes them and he shatters them. He's like, are you, are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. God confronts our sin through others. Okay, a couple things about sin here. Sometimes God uses godly people to confront us with our sin. That's what Moses is a representative here, as a representative of God to confront the people with their sin. God loves them passionately enough to give them the person who will expose their sin. How do I know God loves me? A lot of times I know it's because sin has been exposed in my life. He loves you too much and he's so not indifferent to sin that he will expose the sin in your life. My parents used to always pray for me that my sin would be exposed. And my dad would always say, and he still say to this day, your sins will find you out. And they all have. He was right. And so God sometimes moves people in to say, you, you can't do this. You cannot do this. And Moses has, again, has just been with the Lord for like 40 days. So he's like hot in like relationship. It's kind of like when you go on a mission trip, you have this whole experience and you come home and you're like, oh, America doesn't know what they're doing, you know. Like I figured out how (laughs) life in Christ is supposed to work. But he's like had this experience up on the mountain with God. And now he's coming down. He's like, are you kidding me? This in exchange for, look at the mountain, it's on fire. This in exchange for that? One. So he breaks the tablets, which, which, were, which were engraved by the finger of God. And he publicly calls them out in this place, in the place at the base of the mountain where they were supposed to be worshiping him, right? Where the tabernacle was supposed to be, right? The place that they were supposed to be doing the thing that was incredibly different. They're, they're doing the party. And he shuts down the party. He's like, turn off the stupid music. Stop singing that stupid song. Hey, you stop dancing. That's, you, you, you can't dance. And he takes this idol, and this is like overkill to me, which is awesome. He takes this idol, and I just picture him. He doesn't say anything, at least according to this. He doesn't say anything. It's like he just takes the idol and just scowls at him, builds this fire, just looking at him, melts the thing down. I don't know how long it took, but it's like, just watch it burn. Watch it burn down. Like this holy representative of God, just like, I'm going to melt this thing down. He pulverizes it, right? Uh, Let's see, uh, verse 20. He took the calf and they had made and burned it with fire and 
to fire and ground it to a powder. He creates this like smoothie of sorts and scattered it on the water. Actually, he threw it in the the river and made them drink the river. He's like, you think it's going to satisfy? Drink it. Put it in your mouth and see if it satisfies you. To me, I'm not like, whoa, whoa, that's out of control. To me, that almost matches the level of God's holiness. Actually, not even close to matching the level of God's holiness. So this is totally warranted at this point. Can't help but think of Jesus saying, come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will flow out of you. Tells the woman at the well, right? If you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. Put that in your mouth. You'll never thirst again. He's saying, you think this thing can satisfy? And sometimes God just, the way God's wrath, God's judgment on us is he just allows us to chase the stupid thing until we realize it makes us sick. I don't know what the plague was here at the end of this passage, but potentially it was just them drinking their idol and they all became sick. Sometimes God in his kindness and stuff I don't understand, he just allows us to chase down this thing, which eventually we realize will not satisfy. Romans 1. He confronts our sin in how we lead others, right? He comes to Aaron in verse 20, 21. He says, uh, what, did, what, uh, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? So he confronts his leadership and says, you were supposed to stand in the breach. You were supposed to stand in the breach and you didn't. You were a compliant leader and you, you allowed this in your camp and did nothing obvious question here. Are you allowing sin in your camp? As a leader of the thing which you lead, are you allowing it? God will not be indifferent to that. And so God demands that we own our sin. Verse 22. And Aaron said, listen to this response. This is classic us. And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You, you know the people. You know, the people, they're, they're, they're set on evil. <laughs> you know them, they, not me, they, you know them. They said to me, make us gods who, who shall go before us. And, you know, they gave me their gold. I told them they give me the gold. They gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire, verse 24, this is awesome. And out came this calf. <laughs> I, I, I had not really nothing to do with it. They just, you know, the people you gave me, blah, 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 blah like in my house. <laughs> why, why, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to change the toilet paper roll? Well, you know, you know your daughters, my sons. You know your daughters, they, their hearts are bent on evil. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Uh, own it. The thing we say in our house a lot is boys blame, men own. Adam blamed. Great, great grandfather Adam blamed. He said, This woman who you gave me, she, she told me to eat it. I, out popped this calf. What's that in your pocket? Uh, uh, this? It's a fashioning tool. Well, I thought it just popped out. No, I, Aaron, you made it. You engraved the thing. You spent time, you shaped it. Own your sin. Don't be compliant. He 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 blame shifts, he justifies, and then he gets to this place and he says, verse 25, and then Moses saw the people had broken loose and then in verse 26 says, who is on the Lord's side? Come after me. We gotta, gotta, no more games. No more games. I'm not giving you a chance to blame shift anymore. No more games. Today's the day you decide whose side you're on. Are you on God's side? Or is your heart drifting towards some other kind of idol that you think can take the place of God? It's a fork in the road. Choose life or choose death. Choose between this impotent, melted down God versus the God who's on the, on the mountain burning. It's your choice. There's a whole thing here we don't really have time to get into. Verse 20, 27, 20, 28, God commissions 3,000 people to be killed who did not choose the Lord's side. He strikes them down. He says, there are consequences for choosing 
I gave you the choice and you chose the wrong one. And they are struck down. The Levites strike them down. Just one note here. We've got to wrap this up. Moses completely destroys the idol. I don't want us to miss this. He melts the thing down completely. It's not like, hey, bring your sin. You know, we got to do better than this. Keep the idol. Just do better. Just do better next time. That's terrible. Sometimes we say that to each other. Just do better. No, we've got to be violent with our sin. God wants to be violent with our sin. He wants to melt it down pulverize it, scatter it on the water. And so Romans 8, 13 talks about like the mortification of sin, to mortify sin, right? To kill it. John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. But we often soften it and put it in like these therapeutic terms. Like I've said this before, but it's like when you go to the zoo, you say like, oh, the cats, it says cats, they're over there. You go there and you see this massive lion. You're like, that's not a cat. That's not a kitty cat. Cats are weird, man. Like cats like sleep all day and they meow and they like um, do strange things when you're asleep. Cat, I mean, lions roar. Lions rip zebras in half. And so we got to stop calling our sin a kitty cat. I say, it's, it's a line and I've got to own it. And we say things like, I'm kind of wrestling with sin right now. I'm kind of wrestling with this thing and I'm struggling with this. Well, here's kind of the deal. After like seven to 10 years of wrestling with it, I don't think it's wrestling anymore. I think it's managing it. We found a little cage. We got a white tiger as a pet who's been planning to eat us since the day we got him. And we put him in a little cage and we feed him little snacks occasionally. It's like, we got to get rid of the, got to get rid of the tiger. We've got to mortify the sin. And so don't miss that Moses completely is showing us here. We've got to get rid of this. Whose side are you on? Last thing. I'm so sorry, kids, kids workers. Last thing is this. God is not indifferent to our greatest need. God is not indifferent to our greatest need. In verse 30, Moses says, maybe I can go up the mountain. Maybe I can make atonement for your sin. And he even bargains with God and says, like, wipe me out. Save the people, wipe me out. That sounds like Paul in Romans 9. I will become this atonement. I will become this substitute. I will become this sacrifice. And God shows he's not indifferent to our greatest need because of John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave what? His only son. So whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall have eternal life. So God shows us that he's not indifferent. But he says, Moses, you can't be the substitute. Moses, that's not gonna work. We need a better Moses. And a better Adam, we don't need a blame shifter. Jesus doesn't blame shift. Jesus comes and becomes that substitute that nothing else could ever become. The cross proves that he's not indifferent. I was reading a book this week by Dane Ortland, and he says, your life does not disprove Christ's love. Your life does not disprove Christ's love. His life proves it. The defining hallmark of your life is not your cleanness, but his embrace. He does not approach you with arms crossed, but with arms open, the very position in which he hung on the cross. I love my kids like crazy. Y'all know that. I pray for them. I pursue them. I save money for them. I plan for them. I journal about them. I lose sleep over them. I am not indifferent toward my children. No one can say, that I'm indifferent toward my children. But if my children look at my love and they go, meh, that would destroy me. And I just wonder if we are indifferent about his love toward us. We look at the love of God, we look at the cross as we get in this Lent season, as we focus on the life of Christ and the Holy Week and his sacrifice on the cross. And we look at him and go, meh. Let's go to Easter lunch. God is not indifferent to our greatest need. That's why he gave us 
Christ, to be the substitute that Moses could never be. So this is what I want to do with the time we have left, the no time we have left. It's okay. Uh, if we could, just for a minute, if we could just have a ending kind of slow moment together, if that's all right. Um, I just want us to share this moment. If, if you could, um, again, God has confronted us with a lot this morning. We have an opportunity to respond. Okay, we have this opportunity to respond. There are prayer partners in the back who would love to respond with you and just pray with you. Uh, let's do this. If we could, if we could just close our eyes. I just want us to have a minute here and I want us to respond in a powerful way as the Spirit leads. Spirit, would you lead us? Spirit, I know what the clock says right now. <laughs> would you not allow it to control this moment? So because uh, God is not indifferent to, to these things, I want to give you a chance to respond in four ways this morning. Maybe one of these is, is, is the way you need to respond. He's not indifferent to your worship. So today he might be calling you, asking you, saying, I'm going to lay down that idol, that thing that you're trusting in. Maybe this morning you're saying, I've, I've managed it far too long. I've got to have it melted down. And perhaps that's you in this moment, and I don't want to give you another second. I want to ask you to do that now. If that's you, nobody's counting names, nobody's writing down notes about who gets up, I would like for you to get up and go to, go to the back or grab the person beside you and say, today's the day. Today's the day where I stop bowing down to other idols, these things that I'm banking my life on. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's, like I said earlier, your prayers. God has called you to um, stand in the breach. The hand you raised earlier, that person. I would like to ask you if now you're bold enough and willing enough to stand, go to the back with that person's name. And I want you to trust the people around you with that name. And I want you to start begging the Lord. Enter in. He's invited you in this morning. Would you be willing to do that even now? In this very second, not when the song starts, but in this very moment to say, I will stand in the breach. I will be the one to stand in the breach and beg the spirit. <clears throat> there are people flooding toward the back. Because God has called us to be a people who stand in the breach exchange. Maybe it's your sin this morning and you just feel it heavy this morning. And God's saying, today's the day you confess, you stop managing it. Today's the day where he can deliver you from that sin and he will melt it down. Whether it is stuff that you think nobody else knows. It's, it's a habit. It has become a formation part of your life where you spend so much time looking at this stuff, perhaps on the internet, indulging in that which is absolute garbage. And God says, I want to release you from that today. Will you let him release you today in this moment? Or maybe today you're like, you know what? He's not indifferent to my greatest need and I'm here in this moment because he wants to save me today. Christ stands ready to receive you today and offer you salvation and life abundant. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to get up. Maybe you need to find a few more people that are our prayer team and they are, they are waiting for you. God, you have called us to respond today and we thank you for it. Thank you for a sacred moment where we can enter in and trust the spirit to lead. God, your goodness has been pursuing us for a long, long time and it runs after us. God, we thank you that you're a God that cares about us these things and you're not indifferent toward us. 
that you love us. You want to save us. You want to rescue us. You want to melt down our idols. You want to rescue the people that are heavy on our hearts. That's the kind of God you are. God, I praise you for being you. God, would you enjoy even just this last song we sing that sings about your goodness? As you work in the back, as you work here, would you work? Even in those who who chose not to stand or not to respond in a very visible way, God, I pray they are responding. God, keep working on us. We need you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray.